Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 137 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin. Uh, you know what? I just got off the phone with my guest today, and I'm I'm a little bit emotional. This is a really powerful show. Uh, he has had such an amazing life, came from places that you don't want to think about. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. I, I really want to um, kind of really gear you towards the book, because I think that this is a story that will inspire you. I think this is a story that's going to make you want to get up and take action and do something for others, want to make the world a better place, because certainly my guest Hank today is that man. And I think that uh, you'll just get fired up. You know, you'll want to uh, you'll want to make changes. And when I look around the little bit of time that I spend on social media right now, it's just so disheartening seeing people complain about how they can't do this and they can't do that. And I know that it's hard in these times because our lifestyles have changed. We're forced to, uh, you know, have to adapt whether we want to or not. And, uh, you know, like like all watching all these things close worrying what's going to happen with more people being out of work without the government support, you know, all this stuff that that is in the eye and in the, in the hearts and the fears of everyone right now. And then I look at a situation like our guest today had, and I think, you know, not being able to go to the movie theater. Yeah, it sucks. But you know what? You know, what's worse is some of the things that he's had to go through. And it's not that it's not about who's had it worse. It's just that when I think about those situations, I can't think about not being able to buy something or get my Amazon order quickly enough or, or that kind of thing. Like it just doesn't compare to basic human survival and how we're really not out there helping each other as much as we could be as individuals. Some of us are. I, I know some people that do a lot of amazing work, uh, really dedicate their lives to that. And then I know people that don't, and that's fine. But I just think that if we all work together a little bit better, the whole world would be a lot better. And our neighborhoods would be better. People would be happier. We wouldn't have to worry about crime as much. I mean, you're always going to have that worry because there's people that just want to be criminals. But there's people that have to be criminals because they don't have any other means. And we could just be doing better. So hopefully you guys will get his book, read it, and be inspired to uh, make the world a better place because that's one thing that we can all do. It doesn't take much to put a smile on somebody's face. I, I promise you that. It takes almost no effort whatsoever. And, you know, even to change somebody's life, it takes very little effort with some people. So, you know, just try and inspire somebody, even if it's one person just doing one thing a day, just telling somebody that, you know what, I'm here for you, or I care about you, or I was thinking of you, and I hope that you're having a good day. Start with that. It's easy. It takes a couple of seconds and it's amazing how you can brighten someone's day. And that is just the beginning of what you can do. And, uh, you know, our guest today has a, a great program. I've got his website in the show notes. I also have the book link in the show notes to Amazon. Um, you're going to hear me talk about this, but I'll just say it now as well. The uh, paperback version is out now. Uh, future versions will be in Kindle and audio. I'm not sure exactly when those will be delivered, but they're all, they will all be on that same Amazon link that is in the show notes. So uh, also, uh, before I bring our guest on, uh, very grateful to everyone who has supported me on this show and also the people that are supporting me on my new show, Uriah Heap, The Magician's Podcast. The response has been overwhelming. 
I, I can't even tell you the number of uh, emails and things that I've gotten from people that just say, I'm so glad that this show exists. Thank you so much for doing it. I, I've been a fan of this band since they started, or I've just recently discovered this band, and I'm so excited to hear your point of view on the individual songs because I'm doing a different episode on each song. And it's really been uh, just an amazing journey and, and the support, as well as the support from the band. Uh, I just had a, a great conversation the other day. Mick set me up with their webmaster and uh, we had a wonderful chat with him. And, uh, you know, even just like I've said before, just getting emails from Mick Box uh, in, in the morning when I wake up, <laughs> there is nothing cooler than that uh, to me at this point in my life. So uh, thank you guys for your support. If you're a fan of the band or if you like, I, you know, I know them, but I can't think of any of their songs. Go check out the show because we're diving into each one of them. So with that being said, please remember to give a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, especially would be the greatest place. Podbean is also another wonderful place to comment because I will see those. Uh, I get those comments directly. Some of the other ones I don't. If you're leaving feedback on Stitcher, I don't necessarily uh, get all of those. So Apple Podcasts and uh, slash iTunes because some still use iTunes and uh, Podbean are probably the best. You can also reach me at scott at scotthaskin.com if you have any questions, feedback, anything like that. Uh, it's always nice to hear from you guys listening to the show. And now I'm going to shut up and bring on our guests because I'm I'm still kind of, you know, a little bit misty in the eyes right now. And uh, that's probably why I gave that long speech at the beginning. So thank you for bearing with that. And let's all work together to make a better world. Thank you, guys. Let's hear from Hank. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have probably one of the most uh, unbelievable stories to bring to you guys today. Uh, every time that I read it or, uh, or or hear it on another show, it just it just warms my heart every single time. Uh, Hank Garrett has been through it all, and he, we're here to talk about his new book, From Harlem Hoodlum to Hollywood Heavyweight. How how great is that? I actually got through it without having to dub that. I'm proud. Uh, let's welcome <laughs> to the show Hank Garrett. Hank, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. Uh, it is a great pleasure to have you on the show. Your your uh, IMDb reads like most family of fives grocery list. It is a mile and a half long, full of everything that you've ever wanted to see. You've really had a, a colorful experience just in the acting world alone. Do you look back and go, I can't believe I did all this stuff? Yeah, I, uh, in fact, Deanna Marie Smith, my manager, uh, I was telling her some of the stories of my life, and, and she looked and said, this has got to be put down on paper, Hank. And then there are times that she said to me, now, wait a minute. How could you have done this and this at the same time? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, <laughs> if you've got nothing else in life to do, uh for example, I was wrestling and I was 16 years old. I was wrestling uh, semi-pro. I was getting paid, but I was had to become professional, but I was too young. Mm. So they had to lie about my age because I was 17 when I was going to turn professional. You had to be at least 21 to get your license. Mm-hmm. Oh, 21. Yeah. Wow. And they, they changed my my birth date, made me 10 years older, 
And here I and then then they gave me the name of Hank Daniels, the Minnesota farm boy, which is interesting. <laughs> I'd never been to Minnesota and I never saw a farm. <laughs> Why Minnesota? I have no idea. <laughs> but they and they dyed my hair blonde. Blonde. Yes. And then, now I gotta tell you something quite honestly. My mom, uh, the first time she saw me, uh, she thought I had gone to California to become an actor. She did not know I was a pro wrestler. And so I came home and my mother looked at me and, with the blonde hair and I, uh, and I was wrestling. My body weight was anywhere from 230 to 240. And she saw this behemoth coming into her door. Uh, I, I was sitting there now. She's helping me to empty my bags and she opened one of the suitcases and I had a robe with spangles and fringes. <laughs> and she looked at me with the blonde hair and looked at the spangles and fringes and stuff. And she said, uh, oh, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> She says, tell me the truth. I said, yeah, mom. Are you a communist? <laughs> Which in those days was a huge accusation. Oh, God, yes. And so I said, no, now this and this is I, I swear to you, the God's honest truth. My mom and dad were fruit and vegetable peddlers uh, and they sold Hawk their wares on a push cart. So they were out uh, near where we lived, and the the building was on fire. Ooh. My mom goes charging into the building, and a fireman grabs her and says, where are you going? And she said, my baby's upstairs. I said, your baby? Now they go running up to, and it's a fifth floor walk up. Uh. They go charging up. They bang on the door, and uh, it early morning and I wake up and I come to the door and he looks at me and says, listen, there's a woman out here screaming that her baby's in here. I said, Oh, that's my mom. <laughs> and he says, you're the baby. <laughs> she comes up with the other fireman and she says, listen, don't carry him. You'll hurt yourself. <laughs> True story. In the middle of this, you know, panic situation, that oh, I love that. Yeah, she was. It's amazing. Let's take a, a little bit of a step back to get the real picture, and, and part of why your story is so amazing is because, if I understand right, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this isn't your physical mother. This is the woman that found you. Yes, that was the story that my older brother, when he came back from the military, I was born when they were overseas. Um, I was born quite late in life to my mom and dad. My father was in his late 50s, mid to late 50s. My mother was in her late 40s. And one time I was at the, the pushcart with my mom. And I must have been about five or six years old. And a woman said to my mother, uh, is that your little boy? And she said, oh, no, 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 no. That's my grandson. 
And I, I remember her saying that. And I said, why is my mother saying that she's my grandmother? Mm-hmm. And another time, a couple of years later, my father was at the door and there was a guy who was a census taker. And he said, oh, how many of the family? And he said, there's a woman and three kids. Those are my two half-brothers who were from a, another father. And he looked at my father who I assumed was my father. He said, and and who are you? He said, "Uh, I'm an uncle visiting. I said, my mother's my grandmother. My father is my uncle. Who am I? Mm -hmm. And I did not know. And my older brother, when he came back from the military, he hated me from the get-go. And he looked at me and said, you know something? They found you in a trash can. And my mom took you out of the garbage can and brought you home. And you're probably thinking this is just something my jerk older brother is saying to be mean. No, I, I oh, I'm sure he hated me and I, I was not too thrilled with him. And it was, wow, that feeling, all I remember of my young life is living in a roach infested and rat infested house. An apartment. I lived on the streets. I slept in cardboard boxes, and I was angry. I hated the world. I fought everyone I could fight. I took a lot of beatings, but I did not know why I was so angry. Well, I mean, it's it's understandable. You didn't deserve this life. That uh, you know, you were just born. That was all you did, and you didn't control that. You just showed up in the world and then you weren't given an opportunity to have a really, you know, even a stable life, let alone a fruitful one at that point. Oh, absolutely. I remember, at, you know, at, at dinner time, uh, all the kids went home. I was out there with another kid, uh, African-American friend of mine named George Washington Jr. He and I lived on the street truly lived on the street because his mom had died and his father was rarely home out looking for work or whatever he was searching for. And so we were in this situation. We we scrambled around for, for food. Uh, not, not a pleasant beginning. Yeah. And at one time, uh, my, mother had a customer who was he would always buy fresh fruits and vegetables from her and my mother was always crying to him he turned out to be the mayor of Harlem who had been a band leader and uh, he came up to me I was on the street corner smoking I'm 12 years old just turned 12 and he he came over to me the first thing he did he slapped a cigarette out of my mouth and I was going to throw a punch at him. And, but he had two massive bodyguards that came <laughs> toward me. So I, I thought better of throwing a punch. <laughs> so he said, uh, listen, your mom gave me permission to take you out. <laughs> and I said, my mother is putting a contract out on me. Right. So he said, no, fool. He said, you have a suit? I said, yeah, I've got a suit. He said, 
I want you to wear a suit tonight, man. But before you do, take a bath. I went. I hated this man from the get go. <laughs> Put on my suit, and he took me to the Apollo Theater. And I looked at the marquee, and it said starring Sammy Davis Jr. We went not to the theater, but we went into the side, and we went into Sammy Davis Jr.'s dressing room. And there were hundreds of people milling around wanting to see or meet Sam. Well, we went in, and he said to Sammy Davis Jr., this is the kid I was telling you about. And Sammy said, hey, sit down, man. I sat down. And Sam said, you tough guy? I said, yeah, I'm a tough guy. I'm 12. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, tough guys wind up with broken bones and scars. But you're beyond that. You're either going to go to prison or you're going to die. And I said, that's it? He says, the way you're going, absolutely. And he was right. I had a gun in my pocket. I had a 25 caliber pistol that one of the old mob guys, older mob guys, had given me. Wait a minute. So you're, you're at the Apollo. They let you into his dressing room. They never checked you. They never frisked you or anything. No, not at all. Wow. I was a kid. I was a kid. True. And you were brought there by somebody who obviously knew Sammy. So Yes. But yeah, that just I mean that would never happen today. Well, maybe it would. I don't know, but it just seems like I don't know for for such a a legend at that time even that just seems so weird that he would be that close to danger. Oh, god, yes. Wow. Oh, I would every day I went up for example, I remember a bunch of kids. I was maybe nine and ten. Well, I got my nose broken when I was nine by a gang member. I was standing in front of my building, and this kid walked over and punched me square in the face and broke my nose. Well, how dare you just stand there in front of a building? Uh, exactly. <laughs> my God, I didn't realize it was his building. Right. You know? Did you know him? <laughs> was he someone no. you had a run-in with before or anything? No. He wow. came, was he was part of a, another gang of guys who were older. They were in their teens, 14, 15 years old. And when he hit me, the, one of the other members of his gang said, why did you hit that kid? He said, oh, man, he cursed my, he cursed my mother. And I, I had never seen this guy before, but I never forgot him. Yeah. And l- later in life, I was competing as a powerlifter. In fact, I broke the, the the New York powerlifting record. But I was getting massive. And when I when I ran into him, and I looked at him, I walked over, and I said, uh, "You remember me?" He said, "No, man, I don't know you." I said, "I'm the guy who was the kid that you broke broke my nose." And he looked at me and he went, what? And I I was huge. Honest God, it's huge. And I said, and now I'm going to kill you. And he dropped to the ground and started sobbing. Oh, please, <laughs> please, please don't kill me. Please, man. Did he remember you at that point? Was it? Did it ever click? He's, it clicked. <laughs> he re- suddenly remembered me. And I said, you know, after I said, I'm going to kill you. And he started crying. I knew I had my revenge. I didn't have to touch him. Yeah. That's the best part. 
when, when you can yes. get back at somebody without actually doing anything. Exactly. As I started walking away, I just looked at him and said, oh, and please say hello to your mama for me. <laughs> Best line ever. But I think I probably would have just assumed that he did that to kids all the time, that I wasn't anybody special or that he would have remembered me specifically, that he probably just went around and doing that to any kid he saw when he was in the mood, if he was that kind of guy. Yeah, he was. He was a bully. And uh, I have a thing about bullies. Uh, a friend of mine, we were the biggest ones in school, in the public school. And his name was uh, Montana, Gilbert Montana. And he was fighting pro boxing pro before he was 16. And he was knocking pros out. Wow. So we kind of like ran the school. I mean, the kid, the little kids came running to us when they had a problem. Mm-hmm. And there was one little boy, uh, and I never forgot his name, it was Erwin Cooperman. And he was, there was a guy who was much bigger, always stealing his money. To go, and I saw him standing, holding this little kid against the wall and going through the kid's pockets. And I said, leave him alone, man. He said, well, are you going to stop me? Uh, he saw my friend Gilbert and he said, I'm not going to fight Gilbert. I'll fight you. I said, you're on. So we were going to fight at three o'clock. Well, at three o'clock, we were outside, Gilbert, Montana, myself. And we don't see this guy. His name was Anderson. And so I'm just standing there talking to Gilbert, and Gilbert yelled, look out. And I, as I turned, Anderson had an ice pick. I, and I caught it in my shoulder. He stabbed me. Ooh. I didn't feel a thing. I was so angry. Mm-hmm. Gilbert grabbed him, grabbed his hands. I pulled the ice pick out of my shoulder, and I put it in his butt. <laughs> So I just want them to replace the ice pick. I said, <laughs> I don't want you to lose this. Boom. <laughs> yeah. And so that was the kind of life I, I had. I was a tough guy uh, only because I hated being who I was. Yeah. I didn't know why am I here? Who did I belong to? You know, it's it's amazing the the psychological side of things. I mean, you can look at the fact that it had to be tough living on the streets. It had to be tough wondering where your next meal was going to come from, what was going to happen to you while you were sleeping. Like those things are horrible. Oh, absolutely. The psychological fact of why was I left in a trash can? Was that really true? You know, why did all these things happen to me? I don't deserve this. That's probably far more difficult than just the survival part of it. Oh, absolutely. There were times that I walked the street and I remember walking, uh, not going where, no, nowhere I was going. I just walking and questioning and looking. And I passed on Lexington Avenue between 111th and 110th. There was a store and the windows were blacked out, but the door was open and I heard singing and dancing. Uh, people, you know, applauding and laughing, and I'm, what, what's going on? And I, I walked over and I looked in there, and I, I saw all these people, well dressed, singing and clapping their hands, and 
and I looked at a table, and the table was just mountains of food. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there, and this man came over to me, and he said, uh, can I help you, son? I said, no, 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 I was just looking. I heard the music. He says, it's all gospel. And I went, wow. He said, everybody seems so happy. He said, are you hungry? And I said, that's my middle name. Yeah. He said, come on in. And he brought me over. He says, eat as much as you want. He says, do you have a mama? I said, yes, I do. He said, when you get through eating, I'm going to wrap a bunch of this up for you, for you to take home to your mama. And I sat there and I ate. And the gospel brought tears to my eyes, the singing and and the clapping. And as uh, he was talking to me, and he said, what's your name, son? And I told him, and he said, uh, I'm Father Divine. And I said, oh, okay. I didn't know Father Divine. But I never forgot him. Yeah. And he gave me this package of food, and I looked. And now when I hear gospel, I start crying. Sure. My, my, oh, God. What what memories. What incredible memories. You know, and that's that's part of the beauty of the journey is that you if, if you had led a normal life, you might not have experienced moments like that. I, I'm not saying it was worth the journey that you had to take to get there, but you wouldn't necessarily have experienced those moments of kindness because you wouldn't have been in a position to. Absolutely. You certainly could see that there are people out there that are genuine and really just want to do good and help people. And, and you don't see that as much anymore because everybody's terrified to, you know, they're afraid yes. it's a scam or you know, it's, it's horrible. But the amazing thing is, and I want, I really want people to get the book and really experience the journey. And right now it's available in paperback, but it will be coming to uh, audio and Kindle down the road. But it's on Amazon. The link is in the show notes. Go check out this book because really this is a a spectacular journey. It's very inspiring. But the next thing you know, you're in a fight scene, but you're now in a fight scene for the movie Three Days of the Condor. Uh, You're fighting Robert Redford. Oh, God, yes. How how crazy is that? It's, It's amazing that you were able to get to that point from where you came from. And I admire the hell out of you for it because you didn't give up. You believed that your life could get better. You stuck with it and and you really made something out of yourself. And that is a, is a really iconic scene. And what's interesting about that is I looked up the date of it. Now, that came out in 75. And you think yes. about a movie like Scarface that came out in 83 and they had to edit the chainsaw scene because they thought it was too violent. But Three Days of the Condor is a pretty, pretty violent movie. Uh. I wound up winning the New York Film Critics for Best Fight Scene in Film. Mm-hmm. It, in fact, uh, a few months ago, uh, Deanna Marie and I were taken to Vegas, and I received an award in Vegas for Best Fight Scene in Film Ever. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it is pretty stunning. I will give you that. Thank you. I I studied... My, I, studied martial arts when I was 11 uh, for a wrong reason. I wanted to be a better street fighter. Right. And when I approached the teacher, Sensei, and I told him, uh, he said, no, no, no. I don't teach people to be better street fighters. 
He said, I will teach you respect and humility. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to respect who? <laughs> right. Who? You're a tough guy. Exactly. Well, after my first class, coming in and bowing to my teacher, to the flag, and respecting the opponent, and it just changed, started to change my mind. Now, when the mayor took me to Harlem, uh, to the Apollo Theater, uh, and I met Sammy Davis Jr., I didn't know much about Sammy, but we saw his show. And for two and a half hours, he was on stage, singing, dancing, doing impressions, and playing every instrument in the orchestra. Yeah, he was amazing. Oh, he was. Because of him, he got me a job as a band boy with an all-black orchestra. And the, 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 the... the instructor, I mean, the instructor, the band leader, came up to me after I he gave me a job putting out the music and then collecting it after the, the gig. Mm-hmm. And Lucky Millinder was his name. And he came up to me and said, you did a good job, my man. He said, uh, here. And he gave me $50. 50 bucks. That's huge in those days. Yes. And he said, get yourself some new kicks shoes my shoes were torn to shreds in fact uh one shoe was just held together with a rubber band because the sole had flipped off it had just torn yeah well that started and sam made a couple of calls and i was up in the catskills i was working one of the hotels uh doing everything and I started working with kids, uh, you know, playing games with the children. And I, I, I learned my craft up in the Catskills. And 20 some odd years later, I'm working with Tony Bennett. I'm his, his opening act. Mm-hmm. And here we are at the Sands. I'm on stage, I do my act, and Frank Sinatra is sitting in front. Right up in front, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Peter Lawford, and Sammy Davis Jr. I get through with the job, and I, I Frank gave me a standing ovation. The entire the audience stood up and gave me a standing ovation. Well, that that I think the standing ovation from Frank probably meant more than everyone else in the room because he was not Absolutely. one to really uh, you know compliment people. Oh, and he invited me to a party. Wow. And, I, oh, uh, he, he said, you were so funny, man. He, he said, and, but then, Fred, I, you know, he walked away. He went to see Tony. Sammy came up to me. And Sam said, you're a funny cat. Where do I know you from? You look so familiar. Mm. And I said to him, I said, I'm the kid that you said was going to go to prison or die. And he said, that's you? I said, yes, thanks to you. Now, how many years How many years apart was that from the time you first met him? About 20, at least 20. At least 20, wow. And he remembered you. He said I looked familiar. Yeah, 
And we stood there, we hugged each other, and we cried. We both broke down in tears. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh, oh God, what a moment. Now, I do want to interject that your uh, martial arts training, and what discipline was that? Oh, when I first started, it was Taekwondo Hapkido. Okay. And then I went in. I went into combat Hapkido, mm-hmm. Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, Karate. I'm in the Karate Hall of Fame. That's right, you are. Yes, and I'm also a Grand Master of Martial Arts, mm-hmm. as well as being in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And they know you're not from Minnesota now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to edit that part out of the show? Not at all. <laughs> now, I don't I don't want you to tell the story because I really want people to read this in the book because it's absolutely the most mind-blowing uh, story that you could tell, I think. Uh, but your work in martial arts led you to spar with one of the greatest known musicians of all time. And I want people to read about that in the book. I'm not, you know, I think that that is just like when I heard that story, it just blew my mind. It really did. (laughs) So that's that alone would be worthy of a book purchase. But Uh, I I love this because you've been in so many things. You've you were on uh, Santa Barbara. You had a few episodes there. Max Headroom for a while. Uh, Car 54. Where are you? Which I still think is the strangest television show title in history. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you were in Serpico, Death Wish, Three's Company. I mean, all these things that you've done. And a lot of them were just, you were on for one episode. You did one thing here or there. Did you find it difficult to to not really be able to embrace a lot of characters and really build up your character over several episodes? Was it hard to be kind of a more of a day player? Uh, well, I just happened to think about I, I I studied with Paul Mazursky uh, and uh, Paul went on to do so many incredible things and it was he was just teaching people who were in variety uh, how to act and the variety was now was comedian and a bunch of dancers and singers were all students of Paul and he said you create at the moment's notice. He said, if you're going to do place uh, a guy that's drowning, he said, think about, it's all sense memory. Mm-hmm. Your first time in water, what was it like? Uh, did you, were you afraid? Did you enjoy? And so I used that method and uh, I became whatever the scene called for. Uh, if I was a bad guy, like in God, I played a character named Muscles Malone, and uh, I had to be vicious. And I thought about the miserable times that I had in my life, which were an awful lot. And this was in Serpico. So, and uh, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm playing a comedy cop. On Car 54, where are you? I became one of the stars on Car 54. Mm-hmm. And I just played myself, not knowing what the hell I was doing <laughs> or where I was going. Well, then you can't call it acting. Uh, well, it, it's life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me let me ask you real quick about Serpico, uh, because I, I'm very curious. That was such an early film for Al Pacino. 
Did you have a sense that he would go on to be the star that he became at that time? Uh, yes, there was something about him. Uh, and uh, in fact, Al came over to me when we were working and he said, where do you train? And I, I said, well, I work at, you know, work out at the particular gym. And he said, uh, can I come down? I said, I'll be my guest. I said, come on down. In fact, I'll work out with you. Well, I'm working out and Al comes in and he's standing in the doorway. And he's looking around and he sees me with all these behemoths. And he said, oh. I said, come on in, Al. He said. God, everybody is sweating. <laughs> I said, yes, you usually do when you work out. Right. Uh, and he just got, I, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> I said, come on, Al. I'll, I'll come and let y'all know. And he said, no. <laughs> and he left. That's almost like somebody that wants to become an English teacher and finds out how many letters are in the alphabet and just gives up. Oh, that's funny. You know, what I really love about that movie, too, is going back and listening to his voice, the way the way that he sounded, um, because if you listen to him now, you know, the hundreds of packs of cigarettes later, he just sounds so completely different. He sounds like he was 12 in those movies, just just th that youthful. And now he, you know, he sounds like he's just he's got stones in his throat. Uh, but great actor. I, I, I so much love and respect for that man and, and the roles that he chooses. But you've just had such an incredible career. And to think about where you came from and how you didn't give up and how you believed in yourself, how you took those chance meetings with guys like Sammy Davis Jr., who I mean, how many people how many people get to meet him at all? But you didn't just look at it as a casual thing. You said, here's a chance for me to change my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one thing to be given opportunities, but it's another thing to recognize them and actually turn them into something positive instead of complaining that your Amazon order didn't get here fast enough. It's interesting that, that, that you're saying that because when I was in his presence, the gun was burning a hole in my pocket. Really? Honest to God. I'd said... I got to get rid of this. I got to get rid of this. Mm. There were times before I met Sam, I would never leave the house without the gun. I would always seem to have the gun or a knife because my life, when I saw what was happening, a bunch of kids, we were walking home from school. And I'm talking about maybe 10, 9, 10, 10 11 years old. And one of the kids, the school was a couple of blocks away from where I lived. And we got onto 111. I lived on 111 between Park and Lexington. One of the kids fell. And we thought, who's so clumsy, we laughed. And when we looked down, we saw blood pouring out of his head. Mm. He had been shot from a roof. Someone just fired into a crowd of kids. Wow. And this became the norm. Mm -hmm. I saw so much death. Uh, I used to sleep either on a, in a cardboard box or under the stairwell of the building. Mm -hmm. And one night I was going to go sleep under the stairwell. And 
there was a guy lying in there. And I went, how did this guy find my place? And I said, hey, come on, man. And I kicked his foot because he was not responding. Mm-hmm. Well, I looked down and he was dead. Went to the janitor, the super of, of the building, knocked on the door and I said, and sure enough, he was dead. The cops took him. And they said, what happened? I said, I don't know, man. Another guy, another guy died. And at one time, a bunch of kids, we were raising pigeons on the roof. And the pigeons were being attacked by hawks. So some kid came up with a twenty-two caliber rifle. He was going to shoot the hawks. And two kids are arguing about who's going to fight, who's going to shoot, who's going to shoot. The one kid grabbed the rifle and it went off. And it killed my friend, Marino Sola. And I saw that. And of course, we got rid of the, the pigeon coop and we didn't come back. Yeah. And it was truly, I, I promise you with my right hand to God, I would, we lived on a fifth floor walk up. And the one occasion I was going home and I went and I looked on the roof and I saw Marino standing on the roof edge with a bamboo pole and the rag attached to the bamboo pole. That we used to use that to call the pigeons in. And I said, Marino? I said, he's dead. I blinked. He was gone. And I saw the the pole hit the roof, landed on the roof. Yeah. It's it's a harsh life, you know, especially back then. It was just a, a horrible place to have to be. On top of the situation you had, you were in a very dangerous area. Yes. I look at it and I go, I'm sure that those there's moments when you dream about those things or when you have those flashbacks and they probably still jolt you just as much as they did at that time. Absolutely. But I also love the fact that you turned it all around. And not only that, but you're now helping kids. You're doing what you can to help other people not yes. have to go through some of those things. And that to me is the greatest. You didn't shut down. That's the thing that, that I keep going back to is you didn't shut down. Uh, in fact, we're Deanna Marie and I, we started a thing called Hangster's Kids. And what we're trying to do is get a place where kids can get off the street, place to feel safe, play games. If you have homework, there'll be somebody to help you with your homework. Uh, and if you're hungry, there'll be food. There'll be food and love. I want to... God. I lost my son. I lost my son to a motorcycle accident. Uh, he was always in trouble. He had attention deficit and hyperactivity. No one knew that. But doctors kept loading him up with drugs. And I, I, I made a vow. I couldn't save my son. But by God, I'm going to save some other kids. And you no doubt have saved many already. Yes, yeah. uh, hopefully. Well, and it it just baffles me. I mean, here we are, it's 2020, we're almost at 2021, and we still have this problem. I mean, it's just, it's it's so immense and so ridiculous that 
that this is even happening in this day and age, it, it's kind of hard for me to fathom. But I appreciate great people like you being out there make, trying to make it better. You know, the uh, the shelters, a lot of times they don't want to work with you. I've tried to do things with them here in Vegas. And, you know, they're like, well, you got to do this. You got to do that. I'm like, look, I just want to help. Like I could I could do this or that and it'll bring in people and like, well, you know, this th there's this to consider. Like, no, there isn't. Just let's just do it. And it just seems so cut and dry to me. And, and I want to be fair. I don't know all the politics of their agency and what they have to go through. But that's probably part of the problem. You know, this should be very simple. We should all just be working together to make the world a better place. So thank you for being out there and, and thank your, your manager for that, too, because we need people doing what you're doing. Yes, thank you. And uh, it's called giving back. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But but a lot of times people just can't be bothered to to do that or they don't want to get involved or they're afraid to get involved. And I get that, but it's not going to make the problem go away. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking some time. I realize that we've gone over uh, the, the time that we had allotted. So I really appreciate you uh, <laughs> you sticking in there with me because you really have a lot of great things to say. And I really hope that people will check out your book and they'll read it. And not only that, leave a review. Make sure that other people know how great this is and, and uh, you know, give them an opportunity and a desire to check it out. Because these are the kind of stories that we need to be hearing right now. We don't need to be arguing. We don't need to be complaining. We need to be inspiring each other and this is definitely a way to make that happen so thank you so thank much you. hank thanks for writing your story and putting it out there for us to to even see in the first place oh thank you for the opportunity to get it out there oh yeah i guess i should be thanking deanna for pushing you into doing it oh <laughs> uh, yeah and what if they do call amazon it's under the heading of books mm-hmm Yes, it will be. And if you could type in, you just type in his name, or uh, if you go down into the show notes, I have the link right there. Just click on it. It'll take it, take you right to it. When the Kindle and audio versions come out, they'll be linked through that Amazon page as well. So you'll get uh, all your choices will be on that page. Thank you so very much. My pleasure. Uh, thank you. No, I, I, I thank you for the opportunity to get the message out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. It's a, it's a good partnership. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, you take care of my friend. Best of luck to you. I'm sure that we will talk again because you have a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Stay well and God bless. You too. Wow. I, I just, wow. What a guy. I mean, Yes, it's great to talk to him about all these acting experiences and just go to his IMDb. I mean, it's it's a laundry list of projects that he's worked on and been a guest on. And that's incredible. It really is for any actor to have done as much work as he's done. But honestly, it's it's the other stuff that, that hits my heart a little bit more. I wish I would have gotten to meet Sammy Davis Jr. He was an amazing entertainer. And, uh, you know, Dean Martin, all these guys, that, that's just an incredible group to have been around and especially living in Vegas where I am. Uh, a lot of history with those guys here. But uh, go check out his book, please. Share it with others. It's a very important piece of literature, I think, for everybody to read. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Haskell Cast podcast. We're going to have a couple sporadic episodes as we go on a short hiatus through the end of the year. Cheers. Cheers.